Thank you, Ken, and good morning, and Merry Christmas, everyone, those who are here, those who are online today. For those who don't know me, I'm Andrew, I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's, and we're going to be thinking about that passage that we've just read. Now, over the years since I became a minister, I've sometimes taught Christian religious education classes in schools. And in one of the grade two classes that I was teaching one day, we were talking about Christmas. It was towards the end of the year. And the kids were talking to me about Santa because he's a very exciting character around Christmas time. And one boy asked me an interesting question. He asked me whether Santa has anything to do with God. And um, I don't wonder what you'd say. It's a, sort of a hard question to answer um, because of the complicated history of Santa. So it was a good question, though, and I thought about it a bit. What has Santa got to do with God? And for that matter, what has Christmas got to do with God? Um, so on this Christmas morning, I'd like us to think a bit more deeply together about the Christmas story and Christmas in general and what it has to do with God. I don't think it's too controversial to say that Christmas, as it's normally celebrated in Australia, doesn't have a lot to do with God. And in fact, is not very attached at all to reality or normal life. It's a very surreal time in many ways. It's certainly not related uh, to the reality of the original Christmas story uh, and the world in which it um, happened. For instance, um, if you do compare some of the songs we sing about Bethlehem and the sentimental way that we talk about it with the current uh, sad reality of the town of Bethlehem today in this time of conflict, that's quite a jarring thing to think about. Um, a question worth asking, I think, is how much of our popular understanding of the Christmas story has to do with what actually happened at the time when Jesus was born? Because there are many layers to how we tell the story these days. We have our Christmas carols and our nativity scenes and the plays and the movies. And it's worth asking sometimes behind all that, well, what is it that actually happened as we read the story and reflect on it? If we were there at the time, what would we have actually seen? And what actually happened with the people who were there? So I want to talk today about some of the genuine elements of the story of Jesus' birth and what the Bible actually says and what that means for us as we celebrate Christmas today. For instance, it's worth just knowing, if you actually investigate the story of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, in particular the story of him being laid in a manger, um, we find that this is not actually about, as we often hear, about Mary and Joseph being exiled to a barn because there was this harassed and busy innkeeper who had no room. I mean, that's the way the story is told. But in reality, uh, if you look at the, the context, the story is telling us that instead of staying in a public accommodation area, Joseph and Mary were actually welcomed into the home of a local family in Bethlehem, into the home of their family, which would normally include a place for cows and sheep to be and other animals to keep warm. And it was a house that was set up so the animals could be looked after as well as the people. So the real baby Jesus was born and laid in a manger because he was cared for. And he was born into a real world among simple people who had a humble faith in God and welcomed him into their life. Um, so that's how, how the story of Jesus happened. Today, though, I want to think about a particular person. I want to think about the role of Joseph in the Christmas story and his part in it. Joseph is often a very minor character in our Christmas celebrations um, because he can seem a bit superfluous to Mary and Jesus, the main characters. But actually, Joseph is a very important person in the story, and I think his role deserves our attention because it shows some of the real meaning of Christmas. 
Joseph was, of course, as we know, betrothed to be married to Mary at the time when, he, when she found out that she was pregnant. Now, at that time, um, being betrothed implies a higher level of commitment than we would have when we get engaged uh, today. It was actually far closer to an actual marriage um, in terms of its significance. So that's why the text talks as though they're already married. And Joseph has a dilemma which we can see in verses 18 to 19 of our reading today. His dilemma was how do you deal with an apparently faithless fiancé? And I think the reality we should see here is actually how serious this situation was for him, but particularly also for Mary. Um, it can be tempting for us as we read this to think of it as kind of a soap opera type problem. You know, Joseph is this broken-hearted man. He's a good guy. He's trying to figure out how to end things nicely with his girlfriend. But actually, at the time, this is the kind of thing that could end up um, being a matter of life and death. Um, many of you would be familiar with the concept of honour killings um, in many cultures, including many places in the Middle East even today. Um, for a young woman to become pregnant outside of marriage incurs a lot of shame on the family. And sometimes the members of her family will actually kill her because of this, uh, to protect their honour. And indeed, in the law of Moses, in early in the Old Testament, the penalty for adultery of the kind that it may appear that Mary had committed could be death. Um, for instance, if you read the law about that in Deuteronomy chapter 22. And so, look, this is how the Christmas story could have ended. Not in the warmth of this house in Bethlehem, but with Mary being stoned to death in the village square in Nazareth. Um, but it didn't. And why didn't it? Because of Joseph. Because while Joseph was a righteous man, a man of justice and faithful to the law, he didn't want to expose Mary to disgrace, we hear. And so he decided to divorce her, set her aside quietly. And it seems that Joseph, I think, understood righteousness in a different way than just enforcing the law and doing what it says. The prophet Isaiah writes about the servant of God, this, the righteous person from God, in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 to 4. This is how God speaks about the person who shows his, his heart. He says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. I like what it says here. He will, not bring, he will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smouldering wick. And Joseph understood what God's justice means. It's actually about compassion and care. The light of a candle that is flickering can go out so easily. And I think that this is probably what Joseph saw in Mary in this situation. Someone who was struggling, a woman in a difficult situation, a kind of flickering candle, and he had compassion on her. The Advent candle, as, as um, Holly said, is a symbol of God's light coming into the world in the birth of Jesus Christ. And we read in this story, Joseph decided not to snuff out that candle for his honour, which he very well could have done. And he decided instead to look after Mary as well as he could. And it's after that he's made this decision that he heard from the angel, of course, that Mary hadn't actually betrayed him after all. She was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So I, can see, I think we can see with this background that actually both Mary and Joseph, I think, have the right to be considered the parents of Jesus in a similar way. Both of them in this story showed the character of true people of God. They had faith 
They had hope in what God was going to do and they accepted the call to serve him in the way that he asked. So Mary took on sacrifice. She took on the danger of giving birth to Jesus, the possibility of being considered a dishonoured woman and the pain, as we heard recently, of knowing that Jesus was destined to die for his people. And Joseph took on his own dishonour or the shame of caring for a child that people would have thought was not his own. He married Mary and he took her with him uh, to Bethlehem. And he cared for her and for Jesus when he was born and he took them away to Egypt when Herod was trying to kill them. And of course, as I said, he exposed himself to the ongoing possibility that he would be shamed for his family. And people around Nazareth would of course talk about what was going on at the time and that Mary got pregnant before they were married. And the explanation that Joseph might have offered that Jesus uh, had been born from the Holy Spirit, I don't think would probably have convinced many people, if you can imagine, at the time. But Joseph took them into his home and his family nonetheless. There's a fascinating little aside, a little in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 23, just before a list of the genealogy of Jesus. And it says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old, when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. What does this tell us? It tells us that Joseph took Jesus on as his own and did not expose Mary to shame. So why is this important? Why is it, what does it mean for us today? Funnily enough, I think it shows us the importance of what we call the genealogy that opens the Gospel of Matthew in, verses, in chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, just before the reading that Ken gave us today. I didn't ask for that part of the Bible to be read today. I could have, but I'm sure Ken's grateful that I didn't ask him to read all those names. Um, you might think how boring it is. If you've ever read that Gospel, you start the Gospel with a huge list of the names of Jesus' family and a list of his ancestors. But the fact is, while that's a genealogy of Jesus, actually, in one sense, it's really a genealogy of Joseph. We know that Joseph was not the father of Jesus in a, in a physical sense, but he was part of the line of the people of Israel and Judah, stretching back to King David and to Abraham and beyond, who had taken hold of the promises of God and trusted that he would fulfill them. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, but perhaps not in the way that those people expected. Jesus is part of the line of David, not because Joseph was his biological father, but because Joseph did not quench the smouldering wick or the light of Jesus as he was being born, he didn't say no to having Jesus as his son. And so I think this part of the Christmas story is this real story that happened to people when you strip it back. I think it has a bit to say to us about what the birth of Jesus means for us today. At Christmas, we're of course celebrating what God did for Mary. He took on a human nature. He joined himself to humanity so that we could be saved. He was born through this woman. And so we should have faith that the life of Jesus can be born in us too. But I think we should also celebrate what God did for us in Joseph. Well, what God did for Joseph. God allowed Joseph to be the father of Jesus and his family to be part of the ancestry of salvation because Joseph acted in the way that Jesus would. He showed love, compassion and justice and he understood the heart of God for people who struggle and who suffer. So Jesus truly is the son of Joseph, not just as it was thought, but really is in that way. So if we are like Joseph, we are part of that family too. That's the point for us today. Christmas um, is therefore hard to believe. It's more than just about presents, more than just about food. It's even more than just about having faith in Jesus being born for us. 
the real Christmas is about our whole lives now and the consequences of our actions and the way that we follow Jesus and show God's character in the world. It's about living like Jesus and about his, like his father, Joseph, whose character was the same as God, the Father himself. And that's our challenge today too, as we celebrate together. So let me pray, and then we're going to have some intercessions for us and for our world. So let's give our time to God now. Dear Lord, we thank you for the faithful people throughout history who have said yes to your call, who have been obedient, righteous, just, and true. We thank you today for the parents of Jesus, for Mary who said yes to you and welcomed you into her life, and for Joseph who said yes to you as well and showed care, mercy, and compassion upon those who needed it. And we thank you for the blessing that has come through that for all of us. We pray that we too would mirror your character as Joseph did as we go out into the world. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Russ.